0: okay this is yet another episode of the i will interview anyone because i don't care podcast and this is going to be a long one folks the three listeners that we do have this is about star wars as it is and it's going to be a heavy episode and i want you jack to set the stage for us without going off on what you need to go off on because we'll have time for that but just set the stage for what we're going to talk about
1: all right so this is basically sort of a part two to the first podcast i was in about about basically me talking about what i think about the current state of disney star wars this is this is like a second part to that but this time this is just basically me ripping apart like a man that's like very beloved by most of the Star Wars fandom. And I and uh, I used to be one of them myself, but it was like less than a year ago, like, I believe last September, that I kind of started realizing otherwise. The person in question is particularly a man that goes by the name of Dave Filoni. And most of you will probably uh, recognize him because he is the creator of Star Wars, the Clone Wars, and... From there, he's made Star Wars Rebels, Star Wars Resistance, a few episodes of The Mandalorian, and and, uh, and a whole bunch of other stuff. He's definitely uh, very involved in Star Wars today, and a lot of people, especially those who were turned off by the last Jedi, you know, a lot, you know, a lot of them uh, are very, think very highly of him, thinking that uh, he's going to make Star Wars great again. Uh, you know, I hate to sound to be the pessimist, but I personally disagree, and I'll make several cases as to
2: why I think otherwise. And uh,
0: Well, that's so- going to be the basis of it, though. So that is the basis of this podcast is we're going to be talking about not, well, we'll be talking about Dave Filoni. That'll be like the gist of it, but it's going to be. It is truly an offshoot of the first podcast you were on. It's an extension of it, and this time, though, it's going to be a lot more in-depth. And I, I assume you have your your YouTube videos all lined up? Because I know you're going to maybe, like, have some, like, examples or whatever. If not, that's fine. But
1: well I, don't really have a, well, I don't really have a smartphone anymore at the moment. I just have a flip phone, so I don't think I'll be able to play audio so what i'm gonna do so what i'm gonna so what i'm gonna do is just cite my sources where they're from so that people could find them and hopefully maybe after the podcast ends i'll be able to i'll maybe i'll be able to find a way and maybe post all my sources maybe on the twitter page perhaps so that people could see where i'm coming from but i I just want to say too that anyone that's like listening you know i'm not trying to take away your enjoyment of the Mandalorian or the Clone Wars or any of that you enjoy, what you want to enjoy. All I'm just doing is speak my mind about the whole thing and you know why I don't. I don't uh, really think he's the he's uh, the best for Star Wars anymore. And I'm gonna start by by uh, basically I'm basically gonna start off by when he first got into the Star Wars foray foray all the way back in uh, 2008 when he released his. Emmy Award winning Star Wars The Clone Wars and I mean I mean basically uh, the Star Wars The Clone Wars and was basically originally made uh, as an extension of the original 2003 Clone Wars by Gennady Tartakovsky but eventually the show kind of drifted away from that from that and started contradicting it in many aspects and but the, obviously the first sign for a lot of fans about how the Clone Wars is going to mess up like the lore of Star Wars was there's was this character that Well, hold
0: on a second. Like, let's let's kind of dial it back a little bit here before we get into the lore. I can you explain first off just just so there's like a clear context and basis. So there's the ex, there's the expanded universe and there's legends. And so that is where
1: budgets is the expanded universe.
0: So in your words, because this is going to be like the crux of this, explain the difference between those two things and, but like it, like in a nutshell, don't go, you know, too crazy with it, but because that's going to be where like the, the conversation kind of comes to a, a good point there. So let's do that first and then let's go. Okay, But Legends and the Expanded
1: Universe are both the same thing. Legends is just the label that they put on them when they decided that they're not going to follow that timeline anymore. They decided to just basically put it in the gutter. You know, there's no difference between the two. Legends is just the label they put on it, but I don't call it that way. I just call it the Expanded Universe because that's the term that I grew up with and the uh,
2: Legends is just basically there for. It's just basically their way of saying that you know these those stories are irrelevant
1: now, and that what they're doing is pretty much how they're going to do it from now on. And I think that's very
2: insulting for me personally. And there and was a, uh,
0: there was a lot of stories that were put into Legends that were old EU, but now that Disney took over legends is what they have decided to cast aside including the the original animated 2d clone wars that is considered legends too so but like some of our listeners just might not know that so that's why i just want to have like a little okay so here's when we talk about legends and eu like there's there is a difference but it's just what kind of Disney has put onto it
1: Yeah, well, Disney has their own EU, too, but their EU is just there to kind of tie in to their movies and shows instead of being, like, their own unique product, you know? Like, I think that's honestly just them kind of taking advantage of the fact that people don't really read much anymore, so they're kind of taking advantage of it by just putting away all their things in, like, the form of TV and, movies and all that crap while like all the comics and books are just there as just some like marketing tie-ins instead of like being their own stories. But, uh, but the difference, but that's the difference between like legends and, and Disney EU for me and, and, and yeah.
0: Okay. So there's the difference. And then now let's circle back to where you were going off of Dave Filoni's, his, his premiere to this this series, this franchise. Now he he's made the Clone War, the Clone Wars. Yep. And so now let's go back to that and then, yeah, take it from here. Yep, the, the first red flag for many fans by the time he
1: premiered the Clone Wars is there's a very recurring character in the series named Admiral Wolf-Yuaren. And he actually originally first made like a brief appearance in *A New Hope* as a guy that looks like Colonel Chicken in the white in the white imperial suit in the in the Death Star scene where they're talking about uh, the four um right next to that guy that's like making
0: the bond of Darth Vader for believing the dark side and whatnot. Uh, You're talking about or- the scene in, in *A New Hope*. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Originally, uh, that character you are in. Originally in the lore, he was a colonel or colonel, whatever you want what, to, how you, have you pronounce it? Colonel. But yet when they were writing the series, they actually deduced that he was a grand admiral just because of the white armor resembling thrones, and they made him an admiral in the Clone Wars TV show. And I guess supposedly they didn't realize that until... It was too late, so the Force Unleashed RPG sourcebook ended up having to fix that by saying that he temporarily retired to return as a as a colonel. But that, but but then on from there, the other biggest uh, like lore-breaking thing he did was basically just when this, like literally right at the start of the series, he made Anakin knighted very early on in the series and gave him that scar like so early on. But yet before then, he, none of those things happened until like the third year of the war, like towards nearly the end of the war. And, and, but yet, and the Clone Wars, he was knighted right after episode two pretty much and given the responsibility of training his own Padawan literally just less than a year after he slaughtered an entire village full of, like, women and
0: children, and, uh... Now, but here's the thing, though. Like, he did do that, but who knew about it? Who knew about it in the Jedi Council that knighted him? Because the only person that we know, for sure, is that he told Padme and that's it. No, but... And no, Yoda was sensing it
1: when... right, Right when that happened, he... He heard Qui Gon's voice telling him, telling Anakin, "No, don't do this." And then he told Mace that about
0: about he sensed danger and, and, and whatnot. So, well, he sensed I the see- pain. He sensed pain in Skywalker. Maybe I mean, he definitely sensed some that he was doing some bad, but I don't think he knew exactly what had happened.
1: Well, but regardless, at the top, regardless, regardless if they knew about that or not, they knew that at the time he. Didn't have, he didn't have much of the, like, emotional maturity or stability to get that. Like, he was very reckless, arrogant, and, like, disobeying orders to a T. So it, I just don't think it makes sense that they would do it that early on. And, uh, well, I guess that's also another thing that uh, also the Clone Wars tends to kind of forget about his personality in – episode two and he's automatically the episode three Anakin right at the start of the series which which is another thing I dislike too is that he kind of just like didn't really have much development and he's automatically the Anakin everyone wanted to see you know I guess to appease prequel haters who didn't like Hayden Christensen's Anakin, I suppose but but off from that the other the other part that pissed off uh, EU fans the most that TCW did was also the butchering of, of Mandalorian culture. Like, in the EU, uh, Man, you know, Mandalore had a very, like, rich history and and rich uh, language, mythology, and, like, culture and everything, you name it. And, you know, originally before the Clone Wars like even during the Clone Wars era, Mandalore was a mostly uh, like forested planet and they had like no central government. And most of them, and most of them were like, you know, most of them were like clans and uh, the, and their capital was a city of Kildabe, which is mostly a manufacturing type city that produced like all kinds of vehicles for, for the Mandalorians and other like, and other like planets and whatnot. And uh basically what happens is they follow a code called the Rezonare and basically they're they're like an extremely inclusive culture as well. Like anyone could be a Mandalorian whether you're a Wookiee or a black, Asian or even if you're like a Gungan or an Ewok or like he literally anyone could grow up in the man, like the Mandalorian culture. Like they were that inclusive. But then the Clone Wars came along and Mandalorians Mandalore is not only like a completely desert planet but like instead but it's but the Mandalorians are now like a blonde haired, blue eyed race of pacifists who apparently sent you kicked out all their warriors to their moon. And just, and just about, and it just about ignores, like, the entirety of Karen Travis's Republic Commando novels and all the other, like, series about Mandalorian set during this time. In fact, it ruined Mandalorian lore so much that Karen Travis, the one who expanded greatly on Mandalorian culture, she actually quit Lucas, Lucasfilm and she was actually going to publish a sequel to her novel, Imperial Commando 501st, but she quit on that because she was so pissed at Filoni for ruining Mandalorian culture and doing all that retcon. So, you know, thanks to Filoni, we lost a very good Star Wars author. And, you know...
0: Well, here's here's where I'm going to do my first devil's advocate thing here. So... (coughs) I when I first watched the Clone Wars and I, and I saw Mandalore as they portray it in there as a desert planet with these pacifist people, it did go against what I understand is like what Mandalorians are, but it also, it raised questions in me. It was like, okay, well, I know that this is a culture that is about being warriors. They're pretty much just like Spartans and, like what happened what happened to bring this planet to this point and that would have been a good story to tell but they don't do it so the only reason i'm being the devil's advocate here is because i i don't see why Filoni made mandalore a pacifist planet i think i think it's it's objectively like a a bad idea to portray them like that but if you're gonna go ahead and say like okay now they're pacifists and we're just gonna like exile all of like the the old the old way of thinking up to like a fucking moon you should explain it which didn't happen it's just and then like they they say our planet is this way because of like war because it's like a it's a a war-torn desert wasteland it's pretty much mad max as a planet which also needs explanation. So there's two there's two points there that, had it been explained, I think would have been less abrasive to to well, to the Lord itself. It's, supposedly, it's because uh, you know
1: the the pacifist Mandalorians. They supposedly said that that's just like uh, like, a dif- like a different like a different society of mandalorians in like one region of the planet the rest of mandalore as we knew it still exist. but the only problem i had with that is that the entire show seems to like emphasize that the pacifist mandalorians are the ones dominating the planet and we don't see that other side of mandalore anywhere in the series at all not even like once and like i just said they Literally said that they exiled all the warriors to their moon, which is, like, completely contradictory to or, to the Republic Commando series where Mandalorian warriors
0: flourished all over the planet, you know? Yeah, well, that's why, That's why. like, both of those things that I said, that it, it just – it needs explanation, which didn't happen. And so that's where – the portrayal of Mandalore, at least in the Clone Wars, as we saw it, it just it it falls flat. It, it has no substance and it and it makes no sense. But had it been explained better, had there been some development to explain why that happens, I still think it would have been stupid because I think that Mandalore should always be a warlike planet. It's they're not pacifists, they are warriors. Oh, if you know if they made that like a different planet entirely
1: that's in like mandalorian space and they portrayed that as like uh, a different society that just ignores the the mandalorian ways that would have been fine but instead he, he just became completely unoriginal instead of just doing something unique like that he just decided to fuck all over like one of the most iconic cultures in all of star wars you know like And not to to mention, uh, it's a little funny about how, you know, I'll get to this, like, later, but Dave Filoni, like, Dave Filoni's statements on, like, how uh, emphasis on, like, representation and equality, especially, like, strong female characters, which I'll get to here in a little bit, but yet he literally, like, takes literally the most – multicultural aspect of Star Wars and turns it into, into almost a caricature of of Nazi Germany in a way, disguised as like, you know, a peaceful pacifist culture, you know?
0: And you, and you say caricature just because like, they're portrayed as like the blonde hair, blue eye.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not people. saying they are Nazis. I'm just saying like that's you know, fake. That's very like
0: that's uh, uh, very similar in a way cause you know, cause and well, yeah, the they all, they all look like, like,
1: uh, like the, I did really, I did actually like the way they did, uh, like their capital Sundari. That's, but that's about it really. Anyway, onto, onto the next, uh, planet with rich history and lore that Floney also ruined is another planet called death, And, uh, if anyone that may not know, that may not have watched uh, either the EU or the Clone Wars, the, the Planet Deathmire was first introduced to the EU through the novel "Courtship of Princess Leia," where Deathmire is, re- is revealed to be a world that's inhabited by human female Force sensitives who who are actually descended from, uh, from an a from an ancient Jedi colony ship called. Uh, a rogue Jedi named Alia, I believe her name is. And what happens is they crash land on the planet trying to escape uh, the law because apparently they fell to the dark side and then they crash land on the planet and then like their descendants over the centuries basically like started viewing the Force uh, in a more animistic way where no white side or dark side. Instead, they... View the forest in the same way that, uh, like a lot of, like like a lot of like, primitive tribes kind of like view kind of like uh, view the world in
0: some way. It's and very not only it's bad, very pagan esque. Yeah, they're they're, def- they're definitely pagan, but
1: not only that, but they're also like uh, badass warriors that rode on Rancors and tamed them and. There, there were males on the planet too, but they kept almost all of them as like their slaves. They're a very matriarchal society. And uh, basic, uh, basically, you know, but in the Clone Wars, it's uh, portrayed as like this dark red, uh, uh, like almost an entirely eerie planet where, where it shows like this race called the Night Sisters, and they're basically the ones that are in charge of the planet. And instead of like viewing the Force uh, in like their own pagan way, instead they are affiliated with the Dark Side itself, and are even in line with Count Dooku and Darth Sidious. And then, uh, basically, it's they redcon like the character Ventress as. You know coming from Dathomir too and uh, it Dathomir in the EU though was like very ecologically diverse it wasn't like the red foggy-ish uh, post-apocalyptic planet the Clone Wars portrayed it was actually like you know ve- you know def- definitely very unique and uh, it definitely had like a lot a, a lot to offer in the star wars universe and the thing is, is that in the eu during the clone wars era like no, like uh death was like almost completely cut off to the rest of the galaxy and nobody had even like rediscovered it until the, until like the original trilogy era and it was only until like after the, the establishment of the new republic that death emir became known to the wider galaxy but yet you see death emir almost Regularly in uh, Dave Colony's
0: Call Wars. And uh, what else? Well, here's also where I'm going to also play devil's advocate here again. So, I, I do think that a jungle planet Dathomir makes more sense for the people that inhabit it. But I also understand why having it be a Kind of, it's it's more. It it more resembles like Coraban, where it's like a a planet that had, just has like a large like nexus of dark side energy. I appreciate that, but in terms of the story, because it, it does develop, it does develop Asaz Ventress, who you know arguably she, her arc in the Clone Wars was worse than it was beforehand. I think her arc before that show came out was a little bit more, I don't know, it's a little bit more palatable. But it being it being a, a dark side kind of desert planet, it, it kind of makes more sense. Now, what should have happened if you're going to make it a Korriban-like planet is and if you want to keep some kind of ecological diversity and keep that pagan type belief of the force is develop it a little bit better, which they did not do. Cause it just, it's, cause how, how it's portrayed in the Clone Wars is it's like a, it's a death planet. It's uh, just, it's, it's still matriarchal, but it's like you've got like force zombies and all these weird things. And it's not explained very well, but had you explained it, it would have been better. And that's like another thing where Filoni kind of missed his mark there. Like, I I understand where he was going with changing how Dathomir is. I don't like how it changed Darth Maul as much as I like him, but it just needed more explanation. And I mean, that's really like, that's going to be my argument this whole time is like all these things they just needed more explanation like if you're going to if you're going to change dathomir and turn it into this planet explain it more cuz in in Jedi fallen order you go to dathomir and you yeah. actually you actually you find all of these like cultural things that kind of explain the planet more but you shouldn't have to play a hard ass dark souls type game to understand dathomir like it should it should have been explained in the show
1: I, I mean the that... only like section of dathomir that doesn't look all reddish and foggy is the uh, where the zavrax are located and where most of Darth Wallace family is but it's still not really like that much of but you know that uh, much different either it's just uh it it's mostly just like on top of a mountain and uh and speaking of Darth Maul, that's actually who I'm also going to go to next. Is uh, Darth Maul is another. I mean, I mean, I do c- kind of like uh, how they did kind of give him a little more development. But in general, I honestly do think that Darth Maul should have stayed dead in the Phantom Menace and like a whole bunch of material that set after pretty much established Darth Maul as dead before Tcw came out till. Even one of the books I recently got called Labyrinth of Evil, which is set just before episode three, it established Darth Maul as having been dead around that time. The Jedi didn't even know, like, his name,
2: but yet in the but yet he's revived in the Clone Wars, and
1: he, the Jedi, like, knew who he was and has never explained why before he, everyone just knew him as the Red Zabrak Sith Lord, pretty much, and... You know originally in the eu before the clone wars darth maul was from a planet called iridonia which is where all zabrax come from pretty much well let's and- let's
0: actually let's pause this here because we're at 27 minutes because i know this is going to be like a this is going to be its own segment so let me pause this for now starting now one and we're back and we were talking about darth maul so jack let's just kind of recap because it has been a couple minutes darth maul died in Phantom Menace, yet Dave Filoni brought him back in the Clone Wars. So, do your thing. So, yeah, it's just, you know, I I used to not mind
1: Maul being back, especially since he did get a little bit more character. But at the same time, though, it's, uh, you know, it's like, I but so i feel i feel like that especially that the way he died too like his body was cut in half and he and he literally fell down like a like some like some sort of like trash compactor in a way like an energy reactor whatever whatever that is really so it's like the idea that he like managed to live through all that is a, is a little odd to me even in the like pretty illogical like almost uh very fantastical worldview of star wars you know and plus i I, i've never really even though i've never read like any of the original novels and comics featuring darth maul when he was like during his early apprenticeship under sidious but i am going to read those just to see like how much they did uh develop his character a little bit and
2: but I did also like discover too that the idea of Darth Maul returning was actually
1: originally a concept for a cancelled video game called Battle of the Sith Lords and basically what it's going to be about is the main character was going to be either a descendant or clone of Darth Maul that takes place in the legacy era with the one Sith and Darth Krei. Rule the galaxy, pretty much, and basically the the, the clone or descendant of Maul was going to team up with the character Darth Talon to basically get rid of Darth Krei in the One Sith, and basically they be the dominant force of the galaxy. But then around that time is when Lucas started considering selling the company to Disney, and so he decided to cancel it, and then just basically. Just decided to bring that idea to the Clone Wars, basically, and and uh, I guess that's how the whole idea of Darth Maul returning into the Clone Wars started. But the thing is, is that like less than ten years before that, uh, that concept being like actually canon would have been almost unthinkable because before then, there actually was like a like a like a brief comic that called Old Wounds. But they said that, that comic, even in the Legends timeline, was non canon all because uh like George Lucas didn't really want Darth Maul to be resurrected at the time. He wanted Maul to stay dead. Like but then I guess he uh changed his mind later on with T C W but I don't really know how much George himself had to do with that or if uh or if or if that was like like mostly Dave Filoni's idea. I don't know. I, I wasn't there, but, uh, but for the but for the most, it was not just him returning. It's also, uh, you know, you know, they kept him, his tunerage under Palpatine untouched, but they also changed him being from Iridonia to Dathomir. And that uh, is also apparently where like the rest of his family comes from too. And, uh, I also find that a little
0: problematic as well. And uh, now on to the well. Well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pause you there. Instead of doing the devil's advocate here, I'm actually gonna bolster your world your view of it because this is where I find his his resurrection, so to speak. This is where I find it problematic, and I'm someone that likes the fact that he was kept alive. And I think in my opinion that it's actually better that he was resurrected, but the problematic part of it is in the Clone Wars, it's explained that the only reason that he survived was his pure hatred of Obi-Wan. And that's pretty much what drives him to his death by Obi-Wan's hands in rebels. But like if if your hatred is strong enough to keep you alive from being cut in half and thrown down a shaft, are you not more powerful than Darth Sidious? Because
2: yeah,
0: yeah it's like it's like this weird this weird thing that if you think about it, it's like, okay, so Darth Maul has hatred so hardcore that it literally uses the force to keep him alive. And it's like, okay, so based off of that logic, he is clearly more powerful than Darth Sidious, which doesn't make any sense because Darth Sidious is arguably, at least with the more well-known Sith Lords, like the most powerful one. And we're not going to talk about like Darth Nihilus or the the one that's what's the like the like the ah, let's not let's not go into, into the nerd stuff right now but like for well-known sith lords Darth Sidious is like the most powerful one but if if your hatred is enough to keep you alive you're going to be more powerful than Darth Sidious so that's that's the disconnect to me i love the fact that he's still alive but it's just like okay well his hatred kept him alive like what the fuck <laughs> just you gotta be super powerful by then and be able to very easily overthrow a city so that didn't happen but yeah let's let's move on to the next one
1: anyway uh another and the next thing about the quote what the clone wars did to contradict war is i'm also going to talk about uh their depictions and premature deaths of certain characters that already died in other works that uh contradict the tcw Another character I'm going to talk about is a character like by the name of Barris Ophi, who originally was uh, it was like Luminara. in early adulthood at the time of the Clone Wars era, and she was still like Barris Ophi, no Luminara Unduli's Padawan, Padawan, and uh, basically, I mean, and uh, she even has like her own novel series called. The MedStar duology. I've, I've never read those books yet, but I definitely want to check them out at some point. But from what I've at least heard from her so far, is that she's definitely like like a very like peaceful, almost pacifistic type Jedi to the point where like uh, almost all her lightsaber moves are more defensive rather than offensive, and th- and that uh, basically you know. You know, she eventually and eventually later on during the war, she graduates to knighthood and takes on a Padawan of her own. And then, and then after training this Padawan, she gets sent to the planet Felucia where she dies during order 66. But, but then in the Clone Wars, not only did Dave Filoni uh, decide to make her like as young as Ahsoka is, but excuse me, eventually in uh the end of the Clone Wars season five, he decides to make her the secret villain in that arc by revealing that uh, she set up uh, the, the bombing of the Jedi temple, framed, framed Ahsoka Tunnel for it, all because she got angry at the Jedi for the, for the Clone Wars and how they were affecting the galaxy. Uh, A yeah, good way to get your like anti-establishment message across uh atifa and so so yeah uh so then they decided and then they, she got arrested at the end but yet i mean it's not, it doesn't completely contradict the idea of her getting killed during order 66 but at the same time it's like i don't think it'd be very likely that jedi order would accept her back any, anytime soon for doing all that horrible stuff you know especially after like uh Bombing the Jedi's most sacred site and framing an innocent, uh, a Padawan for it. So I honestly do think that it definitely is a bit of a character assassination for her. There's also another character. This is probably the one that pisses me off the most since he was all, he's always been like my favorite Clone Wars era EU character, uh, a character by the name of Quinlan Voss. And who in the EU, he was actually written off of a background character of the Phantom Menace, who was basically right there. You can actually kind of like spot him in the scene where like Sebulba, try, Sebulba takes down Jar Jar Binks for interrupting his lunch and then uh, Anakin stops him. They basically have yeah, uh, an author named John Ostrand to decide to make an entire character based off that scene. And Quirin Voss is part of a species called the Kifu. And he basically has
2: like a very unique ability called psychometry where you could basically touch an object and know like the history
1: of the object, the last person that used it and who created it. Like it's definitely the most unique force ability. It's uh, def- it definitely like proved useful during the Clone Wars itself. And the it, and one thing about his personality that was consistent throughout the EU is that he was definitely like a very by the book person. Like he, he never laughed. He was very stoic and, uh, more and more. And, uh, he almost like never smiled either. In fact, uh, he he was a by the book book Jedi. Very much. Yeah. But, and then, uh, at, at the time I learned about the character I never read like the comics about him at the time and books. He just read about him on Wikipedia. And I thought, oh my God, this guy, this guy seems like a cool character. And then like a little bit later, I found out that he was gonna be in the the Clone Wars series. And I was actually pretty damn excited for it. And I was like, oh my God, he's gonna, he's gonna be in the Clone Wars. And I, uh, and that legitimately got me hooked. And then, uh, and then the episode itself came out and instead of the quote boss I wanted to see, he acts like a freaking surfer, surfer dude that's all chill and like, hey, hey, dude, what's up, bro? Like, really, a, and pretty annoying, too, and to the point where even Obi-Wan couldn't stand him. But the pro- another problem with that, too, is that in the EU, he and Obi-Wan were like good friends and always had a good time. Working together, but then in the Clone Wars, uh, Obi Wan, I like, couldn't stand being around him. Like that's that's a little odd, if you ask me. But and then later on during the during the Clone Wars, uh, he he actually is a, a, like kind of like a double agent for both the Republic and Separatists, and even kind of like temporarily joins Count Dooku's group of Dark Acolytes to in order to like, find out who his master is, and, uh, and then basically, you know, he tries to, like, keep the act by trying, by trying, by attacking every Jedi that's trying to, like, take him back in, when really he's, uh, still working for them, and then, and then at the, at the end, when he goes back to the Jedi Order, he marries a woman
2: by the name of, of Kali, hence, and then, he survives order 66
1: and he was originally going to be killed off in the, in, in episode three until they decided to, until they decided to cut that. And he ended up surviving. He, he had a child with Calling hence and with a child by the name of Quarto Voss. And that's the last time we ever see of him in legends. And, uh, and then, and then, you know, then, then like, couple years ago, there was this novel that came out called Dark Disciple, which I've read, and to me, it wasn't very good, which basically continues the adventures of Quillan Voss from the Clone Wars. There was going to be, originally, episodes to the show itself until the show got cancelled, where, in this, these episodes, he would have actually teamed up with uh, Asajj Ventress, and, and basically, he would have been Ventress's, like, uh, he would have fallen in love with Ventress in this novel, which, uh, again, also contradicts where the EU, he fell in love with Colleen Hens. and around the time Dark Disciple takes place, uh, he was still, like, engaged with Colleen Hens. so Voss, there's not only Voss uh, breaking Jedi rules, but also committing practical adultery, uh, too, so... But then again, there's a, a debate as to whether or not the novel was edited by this to match up with Dizzy Cannon or anything like that. But I'm just saying, you know this this is definitely a change to the EU that I definitely wasn't very happy with personally. And uh,
2: well, let's, and let's,
0: let's let's get back. So we're getting a little off track here. Um, <clears throat> so Voss. Quinlan Vos, yet another character that was fallen because of everything getting rewritten by Disney. Honestly, as I look through his uh, his stuff here, I, I pulled up his page on on well, not yeah, on Wikipedia, and I'm just kind of looking through it. Definitely a character that, if he had been one of Obi Wan's friends, would have been really cool to see in the movies, but that obviously didn't happen. There is a deleted, very terrible-looking 3D rendering of him in a deleted scene from episode three. It looks terrible. It looks like a...
1: It it actually does, but apparently, too, uh, he actually survived in the comics. uh, It was actually George Lucas that told him to keep Quillen Voss alive in the comics because he actually wanted to use him for a live-action tv series he was producing at the time that ultimately got unmade anyway but it's but still he asked them not to kill off quill and boss so that he could use them in the live action series which i definitely thought was a pretty cool piece definitely shows that uh lucas definitely was more involved in the expanded universe than most people think
0: and uh anyway and anyways uh yeah what's the next thing there's also premature deaths of certain characters one of them being a jedi named evan peel who
1: if you don't know he's basically like the he's basically like an orange looking jedi that sort of looks like yoda a little bit but not exactly and he's more like he's more like orange jish. he actually appeared in the, in the very end of the phantom menace during the during like the the celebration scene and uh originally in the eu he he died like about a year after order 66 and even had a it even had a padawan of his own who was the main character of that series Then the clone wars he died very early on in season three and to the and that's to the point where they almost considered reprinting the book, removing uh, that character from it and retconning it. And I guess I didn't do that because they didn't want to, like, fuck that up. But, but, but but yeah, that's another thing that uh, they screwed up, too. And then there's also another character named Audi Golia, who originally was killed in the last year of the war by... General Grievous during the Battle of Buzz Pity in the comic book Obsession. But then in the Clone Wars, she was killed like much earlier by Sabaj Oppressed on Forum. And uh, and what else?
0: Well, let's let's uh I'm gonna I'm gonna like flip this. I'm just gonna, just gonna flip this on its head here. So one thing that you and I have talked about several times is what the Mandalorian has done for the Star Wars saga, the franchise. <clears throat> now you are several times self proclaimed as enjoying it but it's not like the best thing. I
1: find it like average, yeah, that, best, but and but I mean I I, I mean
2: last year though I, I definitely was on the
1: on the love bandwagon for it but nowadays it's like i i don't hate it as much as, as the sequels but i find it like very average and it's kind of overrated in a way now and definitely a lot they could they, they could have done better with it you know it's you know it's, especially as you know that's another that's also another point of this uh podcast but I'm gonna get to that later, but now I'm gonna go like a little off the Clone Wars itself. I'm gonna talk about more about the man himself, and and uh, kind of just give some proof that he and Kathleen Kennedy are on the same page. Is uh, a couple years ago, last year. Well,
0: before you do that, can you just for our three listeners that we have, who's Kathleen Kennedy? We already know who Dave Filoni is, but like, you know how they came about, but just in a nutshell, talk about what happened, why they are in the position they're in, and then then you can go off.
1: All right. So anybody who doesn't know who Kathleen Kennedy is, uh, she's the current president at Lucasfilm and has been since 2012 when they, when George Lucas... Sold Star Wars, and he put Kathleen Kennedy there because he, you know, he and Lucas have been friends for a good while. And before then, Kathleen Kennedy actually was very involved with a lot of Hollywood, especially Spielberg movies. Like she was even an executive producer in Jurassic Park. So definitely in the past, she definitely did have a very good history, and uh, definitely was involved with a lot of masterpieces, but. As the current president of Lucasfilm, she's definitely not handling it very well. She's putting in, uh, like, a very big feminist agenda in a lot of the movies, and, she's definitely like, and she definitely fires, like, almost everyone that wants to do differently than what she wants to do. She definitely, like, wants to put her fingerprints on everything, and uh, she planned the sequel trilogy very poorly and decided not to use uh, George Lucas's treatments for them and uh base and uh, basically you know when when they decide to throw away the uh expanded universe but they kept the clone but they decide to only keep the original six movies and the clone wars in that way that uh they could have dave filoni make more shows and uh you know basic but basically you know the a lot of the, some of the fans, I mean, this isn't a very, as this isn't a, a belief that's as popular as it used to be, but a lot of fans have a tendency to like, uh, think that because they love like Rebels and Mandalorian and the Clone Wars and all that, that Dave Filoni and John Favreau are secretly uh, against Kathleen Kennedy and that they're going to become the next people who run Star Wars. But, I think otherwise, and I can give a lot of reasons why. The first reason being that uh, in the year 2016, Dave Filoni was at some women's conference, and basically he was talking about uh, you know people that were some people that he knew that were complaining about about uh, Ray defeating Kylo Ren so easily, and then he kept and they kept bringing up the argument that
2: almost every Dizzy Star Wars defender loves to bring up that Star Wars is a, is a fantasy space fantasy movie
1: with space wizards intended for children. And he was just saying that, uh, basically people, that fancy to get over it and that he could create over 50 more strong female characters. And he succeeded with that. I mean, after all, he did, uh, change, uh, that, Original Asian male love interest for Ahsoka and two of those two Martez sisters, so he's definitely doing a pretty good job at that so far. You know.
2: Well,
0: I'm, I'm I'm gonna just interrupt and then just say that, like, it's it's okay to have like a strong female lead, but you but you but you should but... develop them in the right way. Because Ray was not developed in the right way. she just like automatically has all these powers. She doesn't know how to use them, and there is no character development for her at all. And it just and so it like she is very, very much shoehorned into the role of hero to where it it, it like it's forced. and like, and I understand what he is where he's coming from, where it's like, oh, yeah, I, it, it's a fantasy realm. it is is a fantasy realm like fuck you could have like a an ewok jedi hero if you really wanted to
1: but at the same time that's they still have to at least uh you know make it realistic to suspend our disbelief you know and Mm -hmm. to create character to create like female characters that uh, are just so good
0: at things without with uh very little training and experience just honestly like limits that suspension of disbelief you know you know who would be a from a different franchise who would be a great female person in star wars would be sarah connor imagine giving that lady a lightsaber
1: i would i would have to agree in fact i find sarah connor way better than the the majority of dizzy star wars characters but to be
2: honest i honestly feel the same way about ahsoka i mean i don't think she's as
1: much of a mary sue as ray is but she's definitely become dave filoni's pet oh and that's another thing too um is that there's actually you, you could definitely find this in the in the featurettes of the clone Wars season five i'm not making this stuff out of my ass but in the last episode of season five of the, the one where ahsoka leaves jedi order dave filoni in that in that featurette uh, actually like admitted that george lucas actually wanted him to kill off ahsoka tano to develop like anakin into becoming darth vader but then dave filoni just in the interview just literally said that uh he preferred keeping her alive and ended up doing so anyway and that's how she became like practically a star Wars mascot in a way now like you know, like Ahsoka is going to appear in like almost everything these days, all because uh, you know, you know, Filoni loves her so much and simped for her so much.
0: That yeah, but I, I would I would argue it's it's less her, it's more like Grogu at this point. Him too, but both he and Ahsoka are like the mascots of Star Wars. You know, the,
1: you know, but 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 yeah, but I definitely feel that Ahsoka is also definitely like vastly overstayed her welcome, and i honestly did wish that you know they went the original plan of killing her off to kind of further anakin's growth to darth vader but you know feloni does what feloni wants and no one could stop him i guess
0: well the only thing that i hope for is that because they are going to bring thrawn in I hope they don't fuck it up. If they because, dude, I mean that'll that'll be the last drop. They,
1: they already kind of fucked up Thrawn and rebels by having him like they get did up by fucking space space whales.
0: Yeah, and like that's and it was total bullshit. And I agree with you there, but I feel like, at least to me, it seems that Ahsoka, as Filoni presented her in the Mandalorian season two, she was kind of like she's kind of like at her end like she she has nothing left but she needs to find where thrawn is and so it's going to set up the story with ezra and thrawn and hopefully we like i i would love to see some live action like rebels characters just because i actually i i think rebels is a great animated series i know i know other people don't fucking like it but like whatever i love it so if they fuck up Thrawn though, I'm gonna I'm gonna fucking riot and I'm gonna <clears throat> I'm gonna be super pissed. Cause because if, if they fuck up Thrawn and they fuck up Boba Fett, then it's just like I don't I don't know what I'm gonna fucking do. I
1: mean they already like I said, they already did that in Rebels and to me now fucked up Boba Fett yet. Yeah. Well actually they didn't like fuck him up completely. Well yet, but they did kinda of... Tone him down in Mandalorian Season 2. God,
0: by... ah, dude, I disagree with that so much. And you know what? I'm, I'm, we're going to stop this just because we're at 28 minutes, and we'll get right back to it. So, folks, just bear with us here because we're pausing now. Okay. We're back, and I'm going to defend Boba Fett. I don't know what we were talking about before this, but uh, okay. okay. So, so I was talking about how uh, I kind of felt. I was talking about how I felt about uh...
1: – A certain scene of his in season two, but anyway, I'm. Anyway, uh, are you recording?
0: Yeah. Now, now, now we're live. Okay. So, actually, let's go this way. Let's tell me the scene that you don't like, how he was portrayed, and then I'm going to defend it because I am that guy. If I could get his face or his helmet tattooed on my face, and still have a job, I would totally do it. So. Do your thing, defend it, and then I will respond.
1: All right. Uh, the one, th- you, know, you know, the one thing about Mandalorian season two that I, I it's not like my most hated scene in that season, but it's definitely one that I felt was like way too weird for me. And uh, and that, but the scene in Mandalorian season two that I definitely didn't approve of was the scene where like uh, he was arguing with Bo. Bo-Katan, and then about, uh, you know, because Bo-Katan didn't like clones anymore by this time, and then
2: and then, uh, Bo-Katan's friend just starts fighting with him, but he's fucking getting, get, getting
1: the other hand with fucking Boba Fett himself, which I felt was very weird, especially the concept of, you know, Dizzy always wanting to do their whole strong female character type thing.
0: Okay, well, here is where I'm going to defend it. I feel that he is Boba Fett. He is the most feared bounty hunter in the galaxy. He is the man, the pilot of the ship that is called Slave One, and the guy that totally got Han Solo. He just, like, found him and fucking got him. But here's the thing. These are Mandalorian women. These are girls who are born and bred to fight. They're the girls that like... God, man, they're hot. But like, they could totally beat the fucking shit out of you. And that's what happened. Also, Boba Fett in that scene is a little bit older. And he's still Boba Fett. He still has the skills. He has the mindset of just like eventually I will probably get on top of the situation and be the one that's like winning, but it's, it's, he's, he's with two Mandalorian chicks. They're not just like normal chicks. They're Mandalorians. So that right there is like where I draw the lines. Like, no, it's like, it kind of makes sense. It's like, he's fighting with like Amazonians. It's like, he's fighting with wonder woman.
2: But the thing is, is
1: that uh, the Amazonians are, like, super-powered, while most Mandalorians, unless you're
2: Force-sensitive, aren't. And yeah, but both, neither but, Boba or any of Bo-Katan's team are. Yeah,
0: but, like, but Bo-Katan's team is still raised in that culture of, like, fight, be more like we're warriors. Like, they are, like still like they're still bringing that mandalorian culture to how they do things so it it...
1: but at the same time it's revealed like early in the show that you know they brought pretty much brought back into canon the
2: jango fett open season story where jango indeed was a mandalorian despite filoni
1: and Pablo Dago claiming that they weren't anymore and then uh and then you know and you know boba fett being the most feared bounty hunter in the galaxy to the point where he's fucking disintegrates pe- disintegrates people almost, uh, almost for fun is applied in empire strikes back. It's like, it's, it's just regar- regardless of whatever he was brought up in, he's definitely earned his the reputation that he has, uh, today. And, ju- and just, and just, you know, like he, you know, he shouldn't have been fucking just punked that easily like that, you know, and and
0: uh... I mean, I, I agree with you there. I agree with you that, like, he shouldn't have been punked that easily, but if there's anybody that's going to punk Boba Fett, it's going to be a Mandalorian woman. Because, like, what, what if it was, like, just some random fucking character that they just, like, shoehorned in there It's like, oh, yeah, like, this guy just fucking did this shit with Boba Fett, and, like, now he's on his ass. Like, no, that doesn't make any fucking sense. So, like, at least with it being a Mandalorian woman, it makes sense that, like, yeah, like, they fight. And, they, like, and it wasn't even like he got his ass kicked. It was pretty – it was equal
1: the whole I mean, whole yeah, it's uh, – yeah, it was, a, it was a draw for the most part, but I'm, just, but I'm just saying that
0: he didn't look like he was winning much, that much either. I just think that I'm not saying that Boba has to win like every fight he's in, you know.
1: Like, you know, he's definitely gonna be out somewhere at least once, you know. I'm not denying that, but I'm just saying, like, uh, look at that, especially from the way Disney has been handling all their stuff with, with you know, their like I said, their strong female characters, and and you know, comp- you know, that's almost comparable to me to how kylo ren was defeated by ray and it like a girl that grew up in the desert her whole life with no lightsaber training whatsoever i it kind of
0: feels like that to me well let, let let's not let's not uh you know beat around the bush here boba fett is definitely way more skilled and would very easily beat the fuck out of bo katan and could very easily just say like hey like let's just get all mandalore together under under my name he could very easily do that and but he's a bounty hunter so he doesn't really give a shit about that he goes he, he likes money so that's his thing but like i was just we were, i was just trying to defend him we've been doing this for god damn almost seven minutes now um all right uh we anyway, let's move <laughs> yeah. on from uh from the from the from the boba fett and let's talk about
2: and let's Talk about like one last uh, point I want to make about
1: uh, you know Dave Dave Filoni, and then got, then I'm either if I come if I find more information about him, I'll probably make like a second a second part to this probably. But this will be the last. But uh, this will wrap it up by. But I'll wrap it up by this part. Uh, I also want to say that I've also been finding out that a lot of the ideas of the sequel, even a lot of the ideas of the sequel trilogy themselves, including, uh, Ray was actually, was actually partially inspired by Dave floating himself. By I, I'm, I'm not making this up. There's a book called, uh, I believe it's either art of the force awakens or art of the rise of Skywalker. I'm not sure which one, but you could definitely find this on the website. Disney star Wars is And, uh, if you type in Dave Filoni in the search bar, I'm definitely certain that you'll find it in one of those articles. But in that book, he's discussing with some writers about the direction the sequel trilogy will go. And he literally said, like, I don't not, not necessarily word for word, as I'll explain, but like he said it in uh, in a way is basically he was basically saying that about how. He literally said how Star Wars was always had like uh, like the male mentors and he wanted to like shift the roles to 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 females. and he came up with then he came up with the idea of of like a uh, female Luke Skywalker in, in a sense. so I mean, like, I mean, you'll find out more about that when you go on the website I mentioned, but well you yeah, know i'm gonna I'm gonna go on that right now. What's it called? Uh, DizzyStarWarsIsDumb dot com, and then just type in Dave Filoni on the search bar, and I or actually I'll look that up myself, and I'll let you know exactly where to go to.
0: I'm doing it right now. So yeah, all right. So so on the search bar, Dave Filoni. Yeah,
2: yeah, I'm, I'm gonna look that up myself too to see where I could find that.
0: Uh... Wait, how do you spell Filoni? Am I am I, am I retarded?
1: F-I-L-O-N-I. Yeah, what the fuck,
0: Dave Filoni. Okay, so so I oh, got. They, oh, the article is called uh, "Lose Your Faith in Dave Filoni, All Ye Who Enter Here," which is, uh, April which 10th, is a April tenth Inspiration
2: for the podcast, and uh, yeah, this this article this article pretty much explains everything, and. So, yeah, so, yes.
0: so this was published in the art of the rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's scroll down here. You know, let, let's give, let's give our listeners at least, I'm going to, I'm going to read a little bit of this cause I think it's All right. So there's an image. I'm going to read this. Lucasfilm executive creative director, Doug Shang Chang wonder go ahead since these three films this is a very bad picture so bear with me folks so since these three films are a female driven story where's leia in episode roman numeral hold on a second Eight, eight, eight and nine eight and nine as luke's twin she should have the force maybe she's the nurturing character that overcomes the final evil Maybe that's the thing we are missing. Then somebody, Pablo Hidalgo. I could imagine her being the one thing to break through to our villain. Dave Filoni. This is Dave Filoni talking. Dave Filoni says, oh, I love that. I love, too, that I look back down this table and we are presided over by Padme, a Daniel E. Green Oil painting of Padme Amidana, Amidala, female leader, of the Star Wars priest, whatever, Leia's mother. There's a powerful idea there about this matriarchy coming back and subverting what has always been dominantly patriarchal and male heroes, Zeus, Hercules, and everything else. What happens with Kylo and what he does to his father is structurally not a, redeem- a redeemable act. There's no coming back from that. The way he does it is... He does it currently, but I've never seen the mother figure try to do it. Maybe she could. And then there's a guy named John Knoll who says this. The super intriguing setup in Empire. I hope he's not talking about the Empire Strikes Back, but he probably is. That boy is our only hope. No, there is another. I felt cheated in Jedi that this this really didn't go anywhere. What do you fucking mean? But maybe Yoda is really talking about what happens with Leia in episode eight, 30 years in the future. Oh God damn. This is bad. After John, Dave Filoni says this, I know that we should shift it. So Leia is the Obi-Wan of this entire trilogy. I don't even think that it hurts that she's not primarily the member figure in seven because like John had been, saying the audience expectation is so on luke and when that proves not to be true it's way more powerful it's dangerous because it makes it so about the women of star wars something to me says that's right there is something happening culturally you look at birth regeneration the world itself needing healing all those feelings are emblematic of quote unquote mother character and myth they are all matriarchal things. Mother Earth itself. Global warming is a hot topic. George Lucas <laughs> was always so good at tapping into what's happening in culture, and he has he and he hits us with it. The idea that we have Leia, a mother character who needs healing in her own right. That's something we can get into in a deeper way. And I'm sorry, listeners, but now we get getting into the the, the last. Little part of this. Um, so another person named either Kiki or like Kiri Heart. Kiri Heart. Kiri Heart. Kiri Heart. Kiri Hart. Kiri Hart. It's so Kiri Heart says, I couldn't survive one of the things that has happened to Leia. What causes someone to continue to be willing to battle when she has lost her? Planet after she discovers she has a brother After he disappears She never actually knew her parents And now her son has gone awry And by the time episode 7 is over She's a widow I know people in real life Who have had all those types of things happen And they still keep going So my question is always How do you do that? somehow we need to find the richness of that character which is which can be really powerful in terms of what she has to convey to ray it's not about jedi training it's about life and that is the end of 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 that of that segment it's uh there you have it
1: people that's his own words you you could definitely look, look this up for yourself
0: I'm actually gonna link this onto the uh the when I when I put this on Twitter i'm gonna I'm gonna link this because it's actually like it's it's the Disney Star Wars is dumb, but there is the actual the actual picture that I just read
1: yeah, it's definitely very enlightening and
0: oh God the worst part about that dude is. That they they take like Luke's moment with his dad when like Vader's like no Luke like I'm your dad, and they just totally minimize that.
1: It's like these people don't even like they they don't even understand the the franchise, and yet they're running it.
0: Oh That's... my god, they minimized it. That was the moment. The Empire Strikes Back is quite objectively, the best Star Wars film of all time.
1: And what's funny is that there was John Knoll just basically mentioned, uh, complained about how, uh, you know, frickin' about how supposedly they never went anywhere with Leia being the the other. It's not only is that perfectly covered in the Dark S trilogy, but even the, I think even the George Lucas' sequel trilogy, they were gonna have that in it too. And also not to mention, uh, they didn't even do that in the sequels either, other than that flashback in Rise of Skywalker where her training was like almost minuscule because uh, eventually she had Kylo, but, you know...
0: Yeah, it doesn't make any fucking sense because you don't even know.
1: Yeah, that's only put there to explain why she had a Mary Poppins moment in Last Jedi. That's, that, that's it, really.
0: Oh man, that is just so bad.
1: It really is. Uh, anyway, well, for now, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna close up that I'm gonna close up the podcast with that. And on Twitter, I'm gonna post several sources to back up what I've been saying throughout throughout this entire podcast. And maybe if I find more, I could perhaps do a part two of this. But yeah, let's. Like I said, I'm not trying to take away anyone's enjoyment of the Clone Wars or the Mandalorian, but at the same, but at the same time, I definitely feel to listen to the other side at
2: this, at this point too, is especially since, like I said, I, I used to be a, I used to be
1: very, you know, faithful to, to Filoni, my to feloni myself and thought that he was going to be the one to carry Star Wars. But if anything, I found out that he was probably the first that
0: actually uh, made it what it is now. Uh, yeah. You know. Well, you know what? Like, you know what? We've been we've been hammering this guy for a good hour. Let's, there's
1: actually let one, There's actually one final
2: thing I want to mention too. Oh right, uh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. And, but in the Clone Wars
1: season, I also found out that in the Clone Wars season seven. You know, he had a tendency to demonize the Jedi so much during that season. I mean, I I love that.
0: I mean, I love season seven too when it came out before. Uh, before I dude, season a fall seven on. is a Are work you? of art. Season what? seven is a work of art, and I will fucking stand by that quote every single day. You probably don't like it, but I do.
1: I mean, it's enjoyable when you he, when he have your brain turned off at least. But Yeah, you
0: know, I can turn my brain off, so I do that, and I, and I enjoy it. So
1: Yeah, but the one thing I noticed about even the Siege of Mandalore arc, the one that everyone praises as the best of the Clone Wars, I've, there's a scene where when Ahsoka was talking to Anakin and Obi-Wan about going to help Mandalore from Maul. And then they're interrupted by Obi Wan getting a message that Coruscant was under attack, and they needed to go save the Chancellor. Then Ahsoka is berating them by saying, by basically saying that they're they're selfish for you know not wanting to send people to. I mean, the the planet, the Mandalorians, the the people that have been like a thorn on the Republic and Jedi side for like countless millennia. She's literally upset. That they'd rather go save uh, the center of the entire Galactic Republic and the Supreme Chancellor as, like, their number one priority before saving a world that uh, not only claimed neutrality during the Clone War, but it, but they've literally been a thorn to the Republic and the Jedi for, for like, almost since their inception, pretty much. And...
0: Yeah, but, like, think, think about this, though. Like, Satine at this point is dead. So, like Obi Wan has no emotional reason to save Mandalore. He's just like, well, she's dead. Like my girlfriend is dead, and doesn't fucking matter. And like Anakin, just I mean, really can can you really like get inside the, the head same, of Anakin? But at the
1: same time, at the same time, though, it's like it's you no. Know, that's that's her sister that they were going to trying to fight for too. And, you know, it's yeah,
2: but, and, it, it, and but I'm
1: still like honor her memory by helping, by helping save the pl- the planet from all as well. Well, but at the same time, it's like I said, I, I, I think it's a little stupid that, you know, they had Ahsoka make the jet out to be selfish by like putting Coruscant as their like number one priority, you know, like, I just thought that I just
0: thought that was a little stupid. Yeah. It's, it's that's a little plot hole. It's uh is what it is.
1: Yeah. But anyway, uh, that, I just, you know, that's just my thoughts that I wanted to get out. And, and, you know, and, you know, I, some of the, to some of the people listening, I'd love to hear what some
0: of your thoughts could be. And, uh, yeah. Tweet, and, tweet yeah, that, at us. Tweet yep,
2: at us.
1: That, that could, that concludes the broadcast and hope you all have a good night
0: well let's 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 end it on like a little bit of a good note here all right so we have been totally shitting on everything for like a good chunk of time so let's like what is your favorite moment when you watch star wars like when you watch any of it, anything, any of the media, playing it as a video game, watching it as a show. What is your favorite moment in Star Wars and why?
1: Two of them are, well for, for me, one of them is definitely uh, like the, the ending of the special edition of Return of the Jedi where you saw the entire galaxy celebrating
0: the destruction of the second death star and the second would be being able to play as a bounty hunter in in certain video games like like in like uh the knights of the republic the, uh, yep. the rpgs yep yeah i would say uh on my end it's ah dude it's gotta be when And, like, I will always defend this moment. Because, like, everybody is like, what's the best lightsaber battle? And everybody goes to uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan fighting in Episode 3. Which is, like, arguably... I mean, dude, that's, like, a really fucking good lightsaber battle. (laughs) It's retarded good. But I think what's even better is... In Episode 6... When... Luke is fighting his dad. And when Darth Vader is like testing him, just like, like, you won't turn to the dark side. And then, like, he's like, I know you have a sister. If you won't turn to the dark side, then perhaps she will. And then, like, when Luke comes just swinging that lightsaber, like, just like his dad would have done. Just like a psycho. Just like, I don't want you to fucking do that. Just like swinging it. Just fucking beats his dad down on that whole fucking thing. That is probably not only the coolest moment in Star Wars, but like also
1: it's one of the coolest moments in cinema.
2: I would have to agree. It's just like... What's, it's... what's funny is that sequel trilogy Defenders always bring up that scene where Luke chopped off uh, Vader's arm off to kind of excuse Luke nearly killing his nephew in his, in his sleep, all because he briefly considered turning to the dark side. People try to use uh, that scene
1: from Episode 6 to justify that, but the thing is, is that the difference between those two is that uh, you no, know, Vader like directly said that he was gonna turn Leia into the dark side, and he already was, you know, Darth Vader. Kylo Ren just only considered it. Well, he was asleep, and Luke just brought his lightsaber up and was, a, and almost considered striking him up t- up until I guess he, you know, decided not to do it anymore, and that's how everything started, pretty much. And it's it's just stupid writing.
0: Yeah, it is, but it's like but like the best part of that that like the whole franchise to me is is when dude it's it's like it's like the the moment where you just like you see like Vader walking around like if you won't turn to the dark side, then perhaps she will. And then you just like you hear Luke say like, No. And he just goes fucking ape shit, dude. He doesn't even like he's not using any kind of like he just starts wailing on his dad he's like if you won't join the dark side then perhaps she will then like luke just just yells no and he fucking goes out there and he fucking just starts wailing on his fucking dad and it's just like it's as much as i love like the darth maul lightsaber battle like there's something about there's just something about Luke fighting his dad with like his green lightsaber. He just like goes absolutely ape shit, and just it's it's just like I like I, I people tell me, well, how do you like why why do you not like uh, when Obi Wan fights Anakin in Episode Three? Because like that's a really good lightsaber battle too. But it's like, dude, that doesn't have like the same weight that episode six has it just i don't even know but like that's always going to be like the best lightsaber thing it's like if you won't join the dark side then perhaps she will and then just like no and you're just like oh dude it's just so fucking good i agree and it's yeah i think that would probably be my favorite lightsaber
2: duel as well honestly although Everyone Grievous is
0: another good one, too. That one's good, but it's just, dude, like, like Luke beating the shit out of his dad with, like, the, with the Emperor going, like, hey, hey, hey. good, like, good, use your, use your hatred, and then, like, and then, like, Luke, at the end, like, no, I am a Jedi Knight, like my father, it's just, like, it's, like, the most heroic thing ever, he's just, like, now strike down your father, it's, like, no. He, like, throws down his lightsaber and just looks at him like, I am a Jedi Knight. Like, my father before me. Like, he just, it's so fucking good, dude. Like, that whole scene is so fucking good. Like, there's nothing that, like, the Mandalorian will never, ever, ever, ever get to that point where it's just, like, you have fucking Luke throwing down his lightsaber saying, like, no. I'm a Jedi Knight, like my father before me. It's just like, oh dude, it's just so fucking good. I love that scene. That's that's the best scene in Star Wars. It's just so fucking good. And it's just, you know. It's just it's just it's just, it's just great. Oh geez. All right, we're at we're at twenty nine oh two. All right. Any last words, Jack, that we're gonna say before nope. we uh nope, I said everything I needed to say. All right, well this is uh, this has been a 90 minute episode people. So we are now logging off. So uh, tell your friends about us.